Can I just tell you the most fun was corralling all of that crew to make that shoot. Uh, that was an interesting uh, picture. Hey, next week, just want to remind you that uh, we'll all be across the street, alter our time schedule. It's what we call alternate uh, time schedule when we're all in one service. Uh, we have so many of you that are guests in our service. Uh, you're trying to figure out, hey, is this the place for us? And we understand that. But uh, this is a big celebration for us. Uh, it's been over five years that we've kind of come to this place where we can actually start moving toward construction. Uh, it took us several years to kind of figure out <laughs> what we were trying to accomplish here at Oakland Heights. And that was some real soul searching. And then <laughs> that storm comes through, devastates our sanctuary over a million dollars in insurance claims. Uh, and then to, to, to turn around and have the pandemic. And so next Sunday is a huge celebration. Our church family will be bringing our uh, commitment cards. So it will give us a projected number, the best estimated guess of what we can give over and beyond our current giving. We, we feel like the liquidation of this property will provide about half the assets. And then the other half is going to have to come from us. So we're going to enter into a four-year campaign, if you will, four-year effort. And we're going to have two commitment periods. We're going to have a first half of that and a second half of that. Our goal is to, to be able to see if the Lord would somehow provide about $2.375 million. That'll get us with the sale of this property. Our goal is to be debt-free and not to have any long-term sustained debt. And so that's very important to our church family. So if you're a guest, don't feel uncomfortable about the process. We're not going to ask you to come or give. No one's going to approach you about that. Uh, we want you to consider this to be your church family uh, <clears throat> without the entanglement of any kind of giving or, or any of those things. This is not even a money issue for us. That's just a tool that's used here in terms of resources. This has been a real spiritual journey for us. And we're thankful that, that God's brought us to this, to this particular point. I want you to grab your Bibles with me as we continue. Hey, it, it didn't need to be in a series because you know right where we're going to be each week. We have made our way uh, through those first 12 or 13 verses. We're going to be picking up in Colossians today in, chat, in verse number 15. And we are going to go all the way down through verse number 20. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, great. If you didn't, I, I think those in the back are going to try to help us project some of those verses as we uh, walk through. Hey, I was a little bit staggered a couple of weeks ago to, to, to hear the number from a German group of anthropologists. But it wasn't just German anthropologists, that's just where they were meeting. But uh, a number of the greatest anthropology minds from all over the world came together, and they were really excited. Now, I, I don't know what you know about anthropologists. Just, I'll just let that name, in terms of vocation, kind of soak in for a moment, okay? But uh, they came together, and now through a different calculated study, they feel like we are approaching about 108, this year, 108 billion people that have ever lived on planet Earth. Now just think about that for a moment. Since time began, whatever that means, they say there's sometime this year we're gonna eclipse 108 
billion people. So if you're a Bible kind of person, that's like Adam and Eve, one and two, okay? They die, so we got two of the 108 billion. I mean, you, you, you fast forward to Noah or Abraham and different people in the Bible. You, you, you get all the way through the day of Christ and, and then you go through one century after another century, all, all the way fast forward for the whole globe, 108 billion people. Now, just let that soak in. Now, anthropologists can't outbe done by the sociologist. When the sociologist heard this report here a couple of weeks ago, there have been all kinds of unique articles that have come out from that brain trust in the world. Some of the things that they're bringing to the table is the shock that out of 108 billion people, how very few people have brought to the table what they think are deity and denominational kind of movements. At least things that can be sustained. Mohammed would be in that category. He comes onto the scene and there were enough people out of the billions of people that believed in what Mohammed was teaching that they followed that and it was somewhat sustainable even into this day. They also, those sociologists gathered around and began to think, you know, there's really out of 108 billion people, not that many people that have really offered worldviews, philosophical kind of things. In fact, they cited less than five fingers on two hands, people that had charted a worldview thinking that really was substantial throughout all of history. They, people like Socrates and Aristotle, for instance, Plato was in that category. But they said, you know, isn't that something? Maybe seven, eight people out of 108 billion that really changed how people thought about certain things. And then they came back, and a third thing they brought to the table is, isn't it amazing that more people haven't claimed to be God, the God? or a deity of some sort. In fact, most of the people that proclaimed to be that fizzled and flamed out within just a few years because there was no proof, there was no substantiation. And I was just thinking as those anthropologists and sociologists brought all of those kind of different thoughts to the table. You know, it's interesting that our Lord and Savior qualifies in every single one of those arenas. Think about it for a moment. Our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, brings to the table now of over three billion people on the globe right now that say we are ichthos, we're Christ followers. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing about that is people are still have hefty belief in Christianity that Jesus Christ is God and that he is Lord and Savior and that their lives have been radically transformed after the moment that he came on earth physically, that, I mean, that's quite astounding. We think about a worldview. Man, our Lord Jesus didn't bring just a worldview. He brought a total heart view and heart change in people's lives. And it was sustainable. People began to follow him and their lives looked radically different one generation after another. And then you think about the claim of being God. Jesus made such a claim. And today I want to take you to one of the most incredible, in fact, I went on record in the first service saying, I'll probably die on this hill. I think it's the best description 
in all the Bible of who the Lord Jesus is. Now, there are other simple verses here and there that I might can make a collage and a collection out of that might rival this. But for one, what we call pericope of Scripture, I do not believe there is a better place in all the Bible than right here to tell us who Jesus is. Now, I remind you that, that Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, a church that has a lot of the same struggles we do. We've got people over here in our ears saying, hey, hey, Scientology's cool. All the movie stars are Scientologists. And so, and so why don't you think about leaving this Christianity and being in silent Scientology? Christianity is ancient. It's dead. It's old. You've got others that are trying to communicate with us that there is no God. And they don't believe in a God until it comes to the point of their death and then they're crying out to someone. We have all different kinds of friends and coworkers and people that are, are intermingled into our lives that have all different kinds of assumptions about spirituality and different dimensions. And so what I bring to you today is a sense of encouragement. And it's not what I bring, but it's what the apostle Paul brings from the powerful, life-changing word, the word of God. And today we're going to work through these five or six verses. And what I want you to notice as we work through these verses is Paul begins to peel back the layers and he takes us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. By the way, that's a key word, Paul. Who is writing this? A man that was at first the biggest skeptic of Jesus Christ and his whole Christian movement. I remind you, his name was that Paul at that time, it was Saul a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Here's a man that spent most of his life killing Christians. Here's a man that spent most of his life trying to keep the church from ever taking root and expanding and growing. But we know about a 90-second moment on a dirt road to Damascus began to alter and change what we know as Paul's complete life. That encounter with God himself on that road turned him around. And we know now, we would probably say he's in the top three of the most pivotal of all human characters that are in our Bible today. He wrote most of our New Testament. So I'm going to invite you again as we begin looking, beginning in verse number 15. And I just offer up three points of encouragement for you today. Now, last week, we learned that these verses really are what we call a Christological hymn. I was listening just a moment ago to our worship team and worshiping with them. And, uh, you know, the songs are so different here than they are across the street. And uh, so it's like fresh worship for me. We have great worship in the first service. We have great worship in the second service. And, uh, and I know each week they, they go through a prayerful time that they select songs, choose songs. It's almost like Paul is going through and taking the best hymns, the best spiritual courses, and he's bringing them together into kind of a collection for us that I think, again, is maybe the strongest, the strongest evidence that we're here today to, to worship the Lord Jesus. And, mo and, and more importantly, why? My goodness, I want our students to know if they're going to go to Longview High School and there's going to be 2,000 students on their campus and one of them walks up and says, hey, I'm Mormon 
And we, have a, we don't just have the Bible. We have an additional book. We, we have a book a guy named Joseph Smith wrote. And I, I don't want our students to have to come crawling back, make an appointment with the pastor and say, Pastor, they said this about Jesus. And they said Jesus was, 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 was really not the only answer. Or, or if, if, if they have an encounter with somebody that's a Muslim, or, 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 I mean, or they come face to face with an atheist, and now the only tool they have is the Bible. They've been trained all their life. Here's how you combat heresy, the word of God. And now you have somebody that closes the Bible, so I don't believe in that. Let's talk about science. I think it's significant. I think it's significant that a church population is 30% of our membership are engineers. Did you get that? That'd make any man crazy. 30% of our adult population are engineers at Oakland Heights Baptist Church. I mean, we've got electrical, we've got chemical. I mean, the list goes on, structural. I mean, we've got all kinds of engineers here. I want them to be able to sit across the table at Eastman or any other place when someone says, does that really make sense to you that somebody can come back from the dead? I want you to have enough science and Bible and all of those components put together where through the leadership of the Lord, you can launch a defense. But let me tell you something, it's more than the defense. I want you to know in here, you need to be able to resolve this yourself. Is this hocus pocus? Is this, is this a, a Christmas fairy tale that's been passed down for about 20 generations, 20 centuries of people, 36 generations of people? I mean, I mean, think about this for a moment. 108 billion people, and some latched onto it, or is it real? And what you're going to find out in these next 19 minutes and 32 seconds is three things that are going to help you. Write this down. We begin in verse 15. Paul brings to us first this understanding. He says, the first reason that you know who Jesus is, why we worship him, why we follow him, and why we come to him, is that he cites that Jesus is Lord of this universe. He cites for us in scripture that, that, that Jesus is the very Lord. Now, I want you to look at it straight from the text in verse 15. Look at these three words or phrases in verse 15. The son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul begins to lay out a defense of who the Lord Jesus is. And it's significant to those folks in Colossae because they have these idiots that are running around in their lives that have gravitated to this, this, this moment in history. Oh, we're talking 58, 59, 60, 61 AD, right in that little window, that little sparse window of time. We've got this heresy that primarily the Gnostics are launching. And, and what they're running around, poking your finger at these Christians in Colossae and they're saying, ha, oh, no, 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 no. Anything that's born, anything of physical matter has a downside. It's, it, it can have a dark side. An animal can have a dark side. A human can have a dark side. A tree can have a dark side. Anything that's of human matter. And so the fact that Jesus was physically born, that means he could never be as he professed to be God. And I want you to hear Paul's incredible. Look at those words. He says he's the son. 
the image of the invisible God. Now, now just think about this for a moment. He's the son. He's not the splitting image of his mother, Mary. He's the splitting image of his what? Heavenly Father, God himself. Look at that word image. You know what the Greek word for that is? It's the word, you've heard of this, icon. Iconius. Icon. Icon in the Greek language can have three meanings. It can mean precise copy. It can mean a perfect replica. And other times it means an exact representation. Paul's saying the Lord Jesus was an exact representation. He was in the flesh a picture of the very, as the son of God, who God is. I mean, just think about this. If you ever saw Jesus in the flesh... If you lived in that first century and you saw him, you were able to see some image of the true and living God. Think about anybody that embraced Jesus, actually hugged or embraced Jesus. Hey, they didn't just embrace a human being. They were actually embracing God. They, those that saw Jesus saw God. Those that felt Jesus felt him. In fact, look how Paul takes it to a new limit in verse 19. I want you to see this. This is significant. He said, in fact, for God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him. Paul said, can I just encourage you to know one thing? There's nothing partial about Jesus as far as being kind of like God. He was, he dwelt humanly with the fullness of God. Now, it's a little easier for you to grasp. The only thing that this congregation, this group of believers right now in this second service is really struggling with is hunger pains. But in the first service, getting people waking up from spiritual amnesia at nine o'clock in the morning is a challenge. And so I asked our early worshipers this morning, shake your head, shake the fog off. So I ask you to shake your hunger off and understand something. You do understand, don't you, that there was a time in history, a large period of time in history, a chronos of time. We don't really understand God's time, but in the best that we can manufacture in terms of time, you do realize there was a long period of time that Jesus was not human. But there was never, ever a time that Jesus was not God. Let that soak in for just a minute. Jesus has always been complete deity. Paul didn't stop there. Man, he just takes us deeper and deeper. Look in verse 16. For in him all things were created. Now Paul says, hey, he was the creator. Look at the rest of verse 16. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul says, he's the son. We worship him because he's the son of God in the very image of God. In fact, he was a perfect copy and a perfect replica, an icon, an exact representation and everything about it in the fullness, complete picture of who God is. And not only that, he was the creator of all things. Now look at the end of verse 16. He even takes us deeper now. 
he, he makes a statement there. In, verse, in fact, in verse 17, he says, he is before all things. There was never a time when there was no Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. There was never a time that, that there was no Jesus. He's before all things. And look at this next statement in verse 17. And in him all things hold together. Now you talk about a mind-twisting thought. Jesus was born, and the moment, the second he was born physically, he was already much, much older than his mother. And he was the exact same age as his heavenly father. Are you starting to get the picture that Paul brings us? This Jesus that we worship, he is the Lord of the entire universe. Did, did you catch the second little phrase in verse 17? And he holds all things together. Paul saying, we worship him because of who he is. He's the connector of the universe. He's the controller of the universe. All things are held together by him. You see, we don't come today to worship some kind of manufactured God out of a 17th century covered wagon that writes a few texts and say, hey, there's two Bibles now. Really? No, 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 no. I want to go all the way back before the 108 billion people to when there was nothing here. Don't talk to me about a covered wagon. Don't talk to me about some little roly-poly man of 200 years ago. I don't want to hear that. I want to go, if I'm going to believe, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning. And Paul gives us, wow, some of the most incredible imagery. I tell you what, if I was sitting in the Longview High School library and somebody started out hocus pocus with me, I would say, hey, let's sit down here at this table. But by the way, I've never seen anyone won to the Lord by an argument. 34, what, 33 years of ministry, I've never seen anyone won out of an argument to the Lord. But that would be the first thing. The hair on my neck would stand up. And I'd say, Really? Really? That's like that Russian cosmonaut. You remember that? The first two Russians that ever went to space, their last names were Gregarian and Titov. They went up, spent about one and a half days. They went no more than about, uh, what was it? About 1,700 miles, which wasn't even, it was less than 1% of what we know in outer space. They come back with 99% of the solar system unexplored. And they said, we've searched the heavens and there is no God. Are you kidding me? That's about how foolish it is for someone to try to bring some alternate God of modern day. Woo! I'm telling you, if I'm going to invest the rest of my life in this one called Jesus, I just want to be sure. And let me tell you something. Paul, once again, has lit the pastor's fire. Why do we worship him? 
He is the God of the universe. Now write this down. There's a second thing. Paul's going to take us to a new place. He says, why should we worship him? Why should we follow him? Why should we come to him? Not only see the, 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 I mean, the very essence, the, the uh, very Lord of the universe, but he's also the leader of the church. I want you to see this just point blank in verse 18. Now, I made a money back guarantee in the first service. I'm going to make it in this service as well. Some of you are thankful the lights are off because you're kind of dozy this morning. Do you want me to point out who you are? I better not. So I'm going to ask you to come back in this second reason that you should worship him, follow him, and come to him today. I'm going to ask you, if you don't listen to anything else in the message, I want you to listen to this part. And then if you don't want to stay with us, you can get dozy again as we finish up, okay? Fair enough? So money-back guarantee. You can't beat that. Baptists love free things and money-back guarantees. Say amen. Paul now says, let me tell you something about Jesus. He is the absolute authority of the New Testament church. The very church that God sanctioned and ordained upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is but one leader. Look at it in verse 18. I want you to see it with your own eyes. The Bible says, and he is the head, the what? The head of the body. Now, just to be sure we've got it clear, he says, now let me, let me be sure you got it. The head of the body of the what? The church. I loved Adrian Rogers through the years. Got to hear him speak two or three times personally. Longtime pastor at Bellevue Church. An incredible communicator. Still has a big TV following even upon his death. People still support his ministry. Still send out the telecast. Those old messages over and over. But he used to always say this. I, 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 in fact, I, I've listened to him so many times and messages and this would just kind of come up. He would say, anything without a head is dead and anything with two heads is a freak. <laughs> and I agree with him. Paul says one of the reasons that we come to Jesus, worship him and follow him is because he is the, the unquestioned leader of the church. No human figure should ever be the head of a church. You say, well, Pat, why are you saying that? You're, you, aren't you kind of like the head of the Oakland? No, 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 no. I, along with the other pastors here, we're shepherds. That's all we are. We've just been called here to tend you and to tend the sheep, try to protect you, to teach you and exhort you and to encourage you and hopefully lay some kind of example for you. That's... That's why I was chided the other day. Back. Well, why isn't your name up on the sign? I said, well, if you put my name, you got to put all the pastors up. Well, there's not enough room for that. People all the time say, this is our senior pastor. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm old? Is that, is that, is that, what, does that, what does that mean exactly? I always introduce myself as, hey, I'm just one of the pastors. I loved my little moment, one of our new daycare workers. She pulled up and... Uh, 
uh, I mean, I was pulling around there behind the church where I park, and she, first day out there, and she came in a little while, and I saw her in the office. And I said, hey, I haven't seen you here before. I'm Michael Cook, and, and she says, she told me her name, and I said, we're glad to have you here at our Child Development Center. I hope this is a good experience for you, and uh, we're, just, we're just glad to have you. And she says, well, what exactly do you do? And I says, well, I'm one of the pastors. I'm over the custodial and maintenance side of things. And someone began to laugh and joke. And so every time I see her now, and she's still here, and that's a miracle. And, and, and so I, I see her, and she says, I know who you are. You're Michael Cook, the head of custodial. And that's, that's exactly right. You ask our pastors. I tell them this all the time. Guys, you don't work for me. You work with me. We're just called here side by side to serve him. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the head. That's so very important. Some of you come out of a Catholic background where you revere the mother of Jesus who should be highly exalted but not worshipped. Some of you come out of that background and they don't have a pastor, they have a pope. And it doesn't matter whether it's a pope or a preacher. There should never be any human being in charge of any New Testament church. That's so important. It's so important. In fact, Paul drove this concept home. Look at the middle of verse 18. And some of you, for the first time in your life, are really going to learn about this phrase. I'm excited about this. We're going to teach about a dozen of you in here that never heard this before. You're gonna, this, this, this is your moment. No one's taught you about this. Look in the middle of verse number 18. He is the beginning and the, and the what? The firstborn among the dead. Now, most of us, if we were sitting at lunch today and I just read that text, you would not have a clue to what that means. You see, our Bible teaches us there were a number of people that were dead and brought back to life. In fact, your Old Testament has at least three moments in Old Testament history where somebody was graveyard dead and God or a messenger of God brought them back to life. And you get to the New Testament and the Lord Jesus, he brought back probably his closest friend, if you will, outside of that group of disciples, Lazarus. He brings him back. We call that in biblical world resuscitation. When it refers directly to Jesus, we call that the resurrection. And you see, so it's really not that big a deal, is it? That Jesus came back to life because there were at least four others. Why aren't they God? And I just remind you, or to help you understand, the phrase right here, firstborn. Do you realize that in the Greek language, that literally rendered means this, it means that, that it's a person of greatest rank. It's a person of most importance. What Paul's saying is, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Jesus' resurrection was completely unique. Why was it completely unique? Because he raised himself from the dead. Nobody else could claim that. And not only did he raise himself, you've got to understand, he, he raised himself never to die again. Oh, Lazarus, four days out there in that tomb, whew, 
the smell and stench of that. And they unra- Jesus said, loose him. He came forth. But history tells us Lazarus lived a few more years and died. And there was no bringing him back that second time. No Jesus to be with them that second time, not in the physical sense. But I'll tell you another reason that he's the firstborn, the unique called one, is because he has the power, the Bible says, to not only resuscitate others, but he also has the power and authority, what? To give that to others. Old Buddha, (laughs) that dude's graveyard dead. Are you starting to get a picture now of how important it is? Paul, prancing around there, says, hey, 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 you people in Colossae, wake up. A few of these Gnostics talking about, well, he, Jesus, he, he's not who you, he, he's not who First Baptist Church of Colossae says he is. Y'all got those bumper stickers, you building that big new campus out there, half people long, you don't even believe. And, you know, we got all this and that, and charismatic and talking. People, people, a lot, most people don't even believe in Jesus. Let me tell you something, Paul says, let me tell you, we worship him, God of the universe. We worship him because he is the head of the church. I'll remind you again, your pastor and pastors, we are just shepherds. We're just called here to tend sheep. That's when the Lord Jesus speaks, we listen. That's when the Lord Jesus leads, we follow. That's when the Lord Jesus commands us, we jump, we obey. When Jesus stands up, we bow down. You see, folks, The real truth, there's only one time in your life that you should ever, on one reason in your life, that you should ever follow a pastor. It's not because maybe he led the oldest church in the Southwest into a multi-million dollar relocation. Nope. It's not because of degrees. It's not because, hey, maybe or maybe not he can communicate. It's not because of his experience. It's not because of his title. It's not because of his position. You don't follow him based upon, well, I like him or I don't like him. You do understand, don't you? The only reason you should ever follow your pastor is if you know he loves Jesus and he's following Jesus all the way. And if you ever have a pastor that doesn't love Jesus and that's not following Jesus all the way. You can no longer follow that pastor. Because a pastor, a pope, no one is in a position to be in charge of the local New Testament church except Jesus. Did you catch that last little phrase there in verse number 18? You know, we could skip that this morning, but boy, we would be skipping something big. That last little phrase, he's the firstborn among dead so that everything, in in everything, in everything, he might have supremacy. Anytime you follow the Lord's leadership and there's anything to do with your money or your children, people get revved up. 
I would just suggest to you today that there are going to be certain areas of your life that you really think in terms spiritually and you're not real happy. You, hey, the, my world of evangelism and like pastors have talked to us about witnessing and sharing with Christ with people. And I really never have got that element off the ground. I, I, I'm telling you, you could come up with all kinds of things. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't speak well. I'm not theologically ready. I, 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 I don't know what I would say. I mean, you can come up with anything. But the real root of it is, in that area of your life, Jesus is not supreme. Financially. I look down here at our students. You, see, the, see, one of the bad things about coming back here pastoring, if you grew up here, I, I used to sit with 110 students here at our church on Sunday mornings. We filled up the first eight pews in the middle of the sanctuary. And I knew half of those had probably been partying with me and others the night before Pine Tree High School, Longview High School, out here on 80 somewhere. You know, it, 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 you know I, I've been down those roads. I know what kind of spiritual distraction that can be. I've lived that. I'm ridiculed about that. People hold me to that all the time. And so when I climb up into this platform area and begin to communicate God's word, these students have to understand, man, I've got a heart for them. I know what it is to live the double life. I know what it is to be the Sunday child and the Friday night nut. I know what that is. And I'm telling you, if there's areas of your life that the Lord Jesus is not supreme, look at the end of verse 18, you're always gonna find those areas unproductive, unprofitable, and never effective. Just want to encourage you. Let God be the ruler of your finances. You'll be shocked at what happens. Let him be the ruler of your marriage. Let him be the ruler of your parenthood. Well, I don't know what to do. My ninth grader, he's, he's, he, he's a freak, man. I love him, but he's a freak. I can't communicate with him. He doesn't talk to me. I mean, I, mean, I hear from parents all the time. And I'm just telling you, until the Lord Jesus is supreme, the supreme commander in your life in all of these areas. We got young men in here that try to spend part of their time in philanthropy, part of their time in, in, in hobbies, part of their, they're, they're trying to give themselves so many things in their life. They, they want to be so socially accepted in so many circles that all the Lord Jesus gets and all the spiritual dimension get in their life is just their one thirty second like everybody else. Jesus will never be second in your life. He'll, he'll never be second. He'll be nothing before he is by a human being, try to be put in a second slot. Did you get the first two things? And we're close. Why is Jesus Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the what? The Lord of the universe. Number two, he's the leader of the church. Three, jot it down and we're through. He's the link to God. We're here today. We follow him. We worship him. We, 
We come to him because he's the link to God. Go back to verse 19 and let's read through to verse 20. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, verse 20, and through him, and here's the word, ooh, I love it, to reconcile to himself, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I was sharing with our first group of worshipers. I think it's been about five weeks. I was at this real upscale restaurant right outside of Longview out by Lake Cherokee called Dairy Queen. I was sitting across the table there. You know those Dairy Queen tables. You've been at those Dairy Queen tables. I was sitting right there at this parkway at that intersection talking to a guy that's pretty high-ranking kind of guy in construction. I've been kind of trying to invest in him. I talked to you about an older man in the first service. Those are the two guys that are on my radar that I'm trying to win to the Lord. I'm just hoping God will use me or somebody in their life. Both of them are getting on in years. This one not as old as the guy that's coming to our first service. And man, I watched him today as we sang, just as I am, they're an invitation. The Lord wants me to stare at him, but I'm not, I'm kind. But man, I, I, he, he needs to fall on his knees, man, and get right with the Lord. His heart's gotta be transformed, but I can't make him do that. The Lord has to do that. The Holy Spirit's calling him, but he's fighting it, he's pushing back. And about three times now, I've met with this man. I, I met him on a job site that he was doing for our church. And, and, and so I've just been trying to love on him. And the last time I met with him about five weeks ago, we, we were just having something to drink there. And he, he says, hey, I've heard you say that the Lord led you to kind of what you call, what is that word, pastor? A knowledge of him at Oakland Heights Baptist Church and said, yes. And he said, tell me about that. And I said, man, we don't have enough time for me to tell you about all of that. But I just remember as a young man coming down and weeping, I remember asking my parents on Monday night, are we going back to the revival tomorrow night? Why do you ask? Because I'm gonna accept the Lord Jesus. I know he's calling me. I know he's God. I'm gonna follow him. And I remember walking down, even though we were sitting close to the front, walking down there as, a, as, as like a second grader, giving my life to Christ and how embarrassed I was, but how thrilled I was. And I was wondering if anybody was watching me crying. And man, he was just listening to me. And then the Lord just laid on my heart. I called him by name and I said, you want to know what really happened then? As, as I surrendered, it was Jesus that took my hand and across a big, huge bridge, stretched out my hand to a perfect, sinless blameless deity, a God that was so far apart of me ever having a relationship with him that it was Jesus and the blood of that bridge. He signed a blood treaty to forgive all of that stuff so I could be reconciled with God himself. And he just looked at me and I thought, man, this is going to be the moment. Because you see, every single individual, we know when we're not in a relationship with God that something's missing, something's broken, something's out of whack. We know that. We sense that. 
I love that Paul says, man, today as we worship our Lord, you folks down there in Colossae, you stand firm. Remember our series theme? Under pressure. For our students, under pressure. Pressure to do like everybody else is doing. Pressure to, to, to take that non... See, the church at Colossae is battling the same thing we are, exclusivity. Hey, is the only way to heaven Jesus? Absolutely. Well, all my friends say there's a lot of ways to get to Jesus. I love your friends, you love your friends, but they're dramatically wrong. There's but only one way. I just tell you again, the anthropologists of the world, 108 billion people. And you can count on one hand how many have been able to sustain even any kind of idea of being God. You can count on less than two hands any that had some philosophical change of any dimension. We worship today the true God. Father, Son, Spirit. Would you pray with me? As we pray, I just, I value the way some of you are engaged. I, as I pray in just a moment, I want you to hear my heart today. I watch some of you write and script. I watch some of you that are zoned in and zeroed in on God's word. I'm just telling you, those things are going to bring great benefits in your life. This, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is the fact. When you are zoned in into God's word, as some of you were today, man, those kind of things are going to bring a life change. So as we pray today, we're going to pray for next Sunday. Commitment Sunday for our church. Small groups first, one big service. Our, our older folks are going to be thrilled to death to see you join them. They don't think anybody worships over here. They just think maybe it's a, a fog or a haze or a mist. There's, there's hardly anybody over here. When you walk into that sanctuary next Sunday at 1030, they're going to be so encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, there's some folks right here today. I just want to talk to you for a minute, Lord. You know, we got up early together this morning. What was it, Lord? 339? And you know, that chair that I sat in, and we just had a good talk this morning. Had a little quiet time together this morning. Not sermon prep. Not initially. We just hung out. So, Lord, I come back to you again. Father, some of the most exciting work that you're doing is right here in this room. Think about that den back there last week when I went by. And went, what was there, 34 chairs set up in there of young adults? And Man, you're just starting to bring us some of the most incredible young adults in all of East Texas right here. Father, that's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been asking you for. So, Father, as you're sending them to us now, I, I just, I promised you I'd be faithful to bring, bring your word and to do it without cutting corners, without, without being political, without tiptoeing around, but I would just bring it just as your Holy Spirit, the very love in my heart for people, that I would just lay it out there and let your spirit do the rest. 
So Father, today for a couple here that are struggling vocationally, I've heard those rumors. We may be leaving in a few months. If I can't get a job, we may be leaving. And, and, and Father, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe you have another perfect place for them far, far away from us. And Father, if that's your will, I hope you'll just lay that out for them. We'll, we'll cry, we'll be unhappy, but we'll also rejoice because you know you're sending them to just the right place. But Father, before we vacate, let us be sure of what your will may be. So I just pray for those that are here that are struggling with retirement or not, or going back to work or not, or just struggling with some element of their vocation. Father, I pray for those that are struggling maritally. Maybe the fire's gone out. And Father, that's why the New Testament church continues to be at the forefront, whether it be through the Oakland Heights Reengage program, that we take marriages that are in trouble, even those marriages that are strong, and we trust that your word and the investment of time and the very program that's laid before us all coming together will bring couples closer and closer together. Father, I pray today for those that are battling purity. Purity. Is there a young lady that's struggling with purity today? Maybe she's gone down a road, a dark road, and she's, just, she's struggling to get back. Maybe there's a young man here that's been lulled into believing all of his life, well, boys will be boys, boys will be boys. Father, nothing can be further from the truth. Young men that love Jesus, have the power and authority to live a life of purity. So Father, as we pray these things, we pray for health, we pray for our church today, that as we gather next Sunday, that what will be happening as we see one family after another coming saying, here's what the Lord has led on our heart, here's the projection that we can give, and we're excited out of the generosity and out of the very desire to see God do what he desires to do, leading our church. Father, thank you for this time of worship today. Quickly becoming my second favorite time of the week. Each week to gather with this group of believers. Now, Father, take your word as we make our way to lunch. Let it not come back empty. Let it return all the work that we've invested and you've invested in us, let that word blossom and grow. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.